Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. As clinicians, we spend a decade or more as trainees learning to take care of patients. When we finally start our careers, we want to build research programs, but then we find that our years of clinical training did not adequately prepare us to lead a research program. Through no fault of our own, we struggle to find mentors, and when we can't, we quit. However, clinicians hold the keys to the greatest research breakthroughs. For this reason, the Clinician Researcher podcast exists to give academic clinicians the tools to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. Now, introducing your host, Teosi Onwemina. Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast. I'm your host, Teosi Onwemina, and I'm super excited about today's episode because I have a really superstar guest, Dr. Dasha Bapushak, and she's going to introduce herself and just tell us a little bit about herself in the context of being a clinician scientist. Dr. Bapushak, welcome. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and to share a little bit about my story. So I am Dasha Babushok. I'm currently an assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm a hematologist. I see patients about one day a week, and then the rest of my time I do research, basic science and translational research, studying rare group of hematologic diseases. So the diseases where patients Patients present to the clinic with low blood counts, and my the goal of my research program and really my sort of big passion of my life is to identify why these patients have problems making blood and how can we treat them better. Thank you. So, Dasha, you are like the rarest of the rare <laughs> in the sense that you are a clinician and you're a basic translational scientist. I feel like there's so few clinicians in that role. How did you get here? Well, it was a long and windy road. You know, I don't have any physicians in my close and immediate family. So I actually wasn't initially planning to go into medicine or hematology. I was always driven to science. So I wanted to study biology, physics, chemistry, a variety of things. And so this is what I wanted to do in college. I spent my college summers, like many, maybe some of the listeners in, in various labs, and basically was trying to find myself and find my passion and something that can sustain me over my career. And, you know, you may also, many of the listeners may also find that if they have an early research experience, they may catch these glimpses of something exciting. And then, but a lot of it, especially early on is, you know, sort of you're learning the techniques. Some of it could be drudgery. Um, you're trying, you're maybe failing, you're not fully getting it. And then your experience may end, right? So if it was a summer. Um, and so I wondered whether this is how it will be, you know, for the rest of my career. Is this, is this what research really is like? When um, I was looking for something where I would have this, um, something that can sustain me essentially and would give me a greater purpose to, you know, to pursue this. So for example, in, in college, one of my, I guess my defining research experiences was studying a small protein that 
this interaction between an RNA and a protein molecule is very basic. And some of the questions that came to me as I was finishing my you know, junior and going into my senior year of college, so will this be it? Will this, this is what I, I will be doing. And so I started exploring medicine as basically, can I do research in something that would more directly benefit people? And so then I learned about MD-PhD programs. And so this was relatively late in college, sort of a shift in my um, thinking that, look, maybe this is what I was always meant, meant to do, is to do medical research. So, so I explored these, and I eventually applied and entered an MD-PhD program at Penn. And so then, you know, sort of fast forward, fast forward the story, I, it was eight years of research. I did basic genetics research, studying mobile DNA elements and genome evolution. So this was not exactly immediately relevant to human disease, although of course there are many, many exciting connections that I will not belabor right now. And then I then proceeded to start as many, many of the medical students do, they, you know, we enter a, then a period of training, a residency program. So I decided to pursue internal medicine. And again, I wasn't exactly sure of what I, you know, which, which one was my calling. I was, I really enjoyed doing internal, internal medicine, seeing patients, and it's really can be all consuming. So residency is such a grueling time and where you basically, you know, you're whole life revolves around taking care of the sickest of the sick and being on the front lines and research sort of falls by the wayside frequently. And during that time, I usually missed being at the bench. So, and, and so I started looking at opportunities to at least read about it, even if I wasn't doing a research project, but sort of really thinking about some of the diagnostic problems that you would encounter in the same way that when, as, as though I was in the lab. So for instance, I would see a patient with a blood condition and somehow hematology started really appealing to me at this time period. And so I would look at the patient's blood counts and sort of be a detective. Oh, you know, so we see some clues. We see the clues in the numbers and sizes of red cells and, and various other findings. And so then I applied for a Fellowship. So again, this is such a long road for many, many of us. So applied for fellowship. So this is now right eight years of MD PhD program, three years of residency, applying to fellowship. And in fellowship, I moved back to Penn. Um, I really enjoyed the community here, and I think it's really, really important for um, for you guys if you are any of you are considering a career of being a uh, clinician, researcher, or physician scientist, whatever you, you, you call this, this entity, to find a place where you have people who are doing the same, walking the same walk, who, who basically can support you and they can be your friends and supporters and peer mentors on the same journey. So it's, you know, it's a long road, but it can be fun, but you know, if you, if you have the right people surrounding you. So anyway, so I went to Penn, I had, and I joined the Penn hematology oncology program. And during that time I met my eventually, um, 
this very inspiring physician scientist who became my mentor for my postdoctoral work. It was Monica Bessler, and she was um, just truly a pioneer. Um, and you know, she somebody who cloned a gene in this rare, um, rare uh, bone marrow failure disease. She she said, I haven't checked this myself, that she assembled the flow cytometer that she was working on. <laughs> so so anyway, she was she she was very quirky and incredibly wise. And and basically I decided that I want to work with her and look at new genetic changes in patients with these marrow diseases. And so this is how how it happened, right? And and this was something that I'm still working on now. Gosh, so 2023, right? So it's over 10 years later. Wow. What a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. I see so many pieces of your story. Like for one, it's the organic nature in which you came to be where you are. Like all along the way, you were recognizing your interests as they were just growing and you pursued your interests, which which is super awesome. And then there's also, you talked about the importance of community. And so your community at Penn was important in helping you kind of shape your, your sense of self as a physician scientist as well. And then this mentor who really just helped to lay a path for you that you were like, I love this. I want to follow it. And I, and I think it's so awesome. One thing that you talked about that I really want to just come back to is you talked about how when you were in the clinic, clinical space, there was so much like, I mean, it was so busy and you were still drawn to like the lab and still drawn to thinking about the lab and thinking about how do I keep things going in my research, even though I'm here in the clinical space. You know, sometimes when when fellows come to interview, they say, I want to be a researcher and I'm thinking maybe 50-50 or I'm thinking maybe maybe 75% clinical because I really love patient care. Can you speak to that? Can you speak to what is really needed for physician scientists to succeed as a researcher, even though the clinical space is still important to, to the work we do? It's such a, such a great question. And I think it's different a little bit on the type of research that people want to pursue. And, and I'm not a purist, so I'm not someone who just says, oh, just the basic lab research is what is research. Absolutely not. I think we can do a lot of people can be in, can do incredibly meaningful work in a variety of spaces, right? So clinical research, translational research, and by that I mean something that involves, let's say, patient samples, or for example, health, economics, a variety of other types of research. But I'll speak for what I do. So for to be successful and run one's own lab as a principal investigator in a basic or translational lab takes a lot. So essentially, even if I'm in clinic, I try very consciously to focus on my patients. But and and what benefits me is that I study the diseases, but and and I see the patients with these diseases. So it's essentially I have only one topic to master, but I can definitely tell my patients, this is what I do. This is what I think all the time, day in and day out. But it is that type of effort. And especially I'll say for this, you know, for, for people with families, right? When your hours are constrained, you really have to have that intense focus because you have to balance also your family life 
maybe if you have children, time with them. And then additionally, you can you usually cannot slack slack off and you know as far as your research. So it's you know yes, so maybe you would be seventy five or eighty twenty or sixty forty seventy thirty, but it's not out of a forty hour week, <laughs> right? So sure the, but I think you can you know for instance if if there are any listeners who maybe fellows and just thinking about starting research relatively later, or you absolutely can start later as well. It does require training and true commitment, but you can be very successful and there are ways of integrating research into your career that would also make your career much more fulfilling, I think, right? I'm very biased, but it would, it, <laughs> I'm very biased, but but I think it's definitely possible to be successful and with small amount of effort, you just have to decide. So sure, maybe you're not running a basic science lab, but you can, for example, run clinical trials or you can uh, participate in other types of research that is a little bit more confined. Sure. Thank you for pointing that out. So a couple of things that 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 I want to highlight from what you said, you know, you talk about it as a leader, as a PI. Of, of a program. That's so important because what you're doing is you're leading a program. You're leading other people to do the work. And you're not just leading people to do the work. You're thinking about it all the time. And you're thinking about what's the next step in growing the program and funding the program. There's a lot of thinking time involved. And, and then even in thinking about the research projects that you're doing. And so I like what you talked about in you, you really are focused in your clinic, your clinic supports your research and vice versa. And so for that reason, you're able to make time actually go further because you're not trying to gather stuff from this other clinical space and it doesn't quite fit in your research. You really are focused. And, and I think it's important for people who are listening to just think about if you just want to dabble in research, if you just want to be a supporter, it is a different investment. It is a different level of commitment. But if you're going to be the one leading projects, writing the grants that fund the program, it's a higher level of commitment. And you also talked, Dasha, about training and how you do need training. Could you speak more to that? Because you're a PhD. You did the MD and the PhD. And then you said you need more training. Can you? What's that about? Ah, <laughs> so it's it's such an important question. And I'll, I'll mention also, you know, so now, gosh, like, right. So I was doing my PhD. This was, this is right, 2000, starting 2002 to 2007. And the technologies that were available, the types of thinking they were doing was so different. So this was during that time, the Human Genome Project was coming, just coming out, right? So all of this, and there was no such thing as CRISPR, right? What's, what's CRISPR? Genetic engineering was that, you know, it, it was a Herculean feat, right? So, and, and that is also not so long ago, right? And so just to think also our mentors, if you think of some senior faculty, when did they train? So there is a lot of training that's, involved and everything will also change. So for me, you take some time for your residency and fellowship, you come back to the lab and you're doing something completely new. So there, I would focus on key transferable skills. Um, and also I think for all of us, focus is really important. So, um, right. So transferable skills from PhD training is 
being able to ask questions that are testable, um, making sure that you are using the right techniques, different methods of validating how do you know when something is true, looking at problems in sort of unusual ways, and also reading the scientific literature, right, which will be different as, as you go. So sort of having those habits and then just the framework of thinking. And of course, yes, so basic, you know, for me, it was right, basic genetics, cell biology, immunology, sort of those types of skills. And of course, that will be different if somebody is, for example, doing now a more computational project, right? So nowadays, I think, right, data science is really important. It's incredibly valuable skill. So if someone is considering getting training, so and, and people may have training, for example, doing a master's program that is sort of focused on the skills that you need, whether it be in translational research or if you somebody needs additional skills and let's say bioinformatic analysis of now nowadays we have a lot of multi-omics right or single cell technology so all of those whether you're an end user and you work you learn how to partner with bioinformaticians or teams and direct others a lot of what I do is I haven't done it myself but I know enough to be able to mentor someone to do it and analyze results and troubleshoot so all of that is very important, but but anyway, just I guess the practical, all about practical next steps. So if somebody is, for instance, contemplating doing training, so the types of training that are helpful and transferable, I think data science, a little bit of coding, you don't need to be a super programmer, but just knowledge of R or similar language, uh, programming language would be very helpful. Knowledge of statistics, Grant writing, that was something that I absolutely, you know, needed training in. And additionally, and you just get better as you go. Writing, so manuscript writing is important. Again, you, that, that is, you, you will get better as you are, as you're, as you guys are doing it. And then of course the subject matter also. So, and that would be, you know, whether it's clinical trials or whether it is something at the bench in immunology or, you know, whatever you're, you're pursuing, but yeah, absolutely. I think training is helpful and it can be in the form of a degree formal program, but also just doing it with someone who can mentor you along. And that requires a lot more legwork and you, but also can sometimes be a little more targeted and even more fruitful and you probably will retain more. So Thank you for laying it out so well. It's it's funny. It's, you know, you think about the fact that, well, we went to medical school and then we did residency and then we did fellowship so that there are levels of training and you don't leave medical school ready to care for patients. You you do more training. And and I think sometimes patient people who haven't done an, a PhD, but even some have this feeling of like, well, I I, I should know everything I, I, I need to know to start my research program. And I think this fallacy comes in a lot with people who are doing clinical research, the thought that doing clinical work and clinical research is the same thing. But I, I, I love the way you, you speak about being able to even like decide what's a testable hypothesis. <laughs> that's not something that's that's taught in our clinical training. And so really being able to, to get the skills you need and to create space and time to do that 
is super important. You talked also about grant writing. Like that's not part of any clinical training ever. And it's a skill. And it's a skill that you build over time. You get better at it. So I, 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 I appreciate you talking about it and just laying out how much investment is needed in terms of even transforming as people in, in this venture and, and, and trying to be, at least work our way towards being the physician scientist we want to be. Now, as you are talking, one of the things that comes across is that it just, you just seem to talk so easily and so effortlessly. It's like, it's been smooth sailing all along. I want you to talk about some of the biggest challenges that you have faced on, on this journey. Oh my, where do I begin? So I'll say probably the biggest one is coming to terms with and just accepting the fact that the journey is long and that there are ups and downs and, and then living the keys to live in the moment. So it's not about the destination. It's, you know, it's not that you are sort of going somewhere. So yes, sure, you know, finishing medical school and MD, PhD program and residency and fellowship, but the key is you're a scientist, a clinician, a physician, a professional from the beginning. And this is something that I think framing it in this way has made the journey, the long journey seem, you know, fulfilling for me. So other, I guess, challenges is sort of just sustaining or even recognizing just how disjointed our, this physician scientist training can be. And I'm talking specifically about people who did, for example, like myself, first, and, and, you know, nowadays it's more common people take gap years, right? I didn't do a gap year, but so, but essentially you have something that you do, then you're switching to medical school, then you're switching to research, switching back to medical school, now doing residency, and then going back in, into the lab. And you always think about, so right, why, why do we do certain things? So in my mind and what sustained me was just both the curiosity, the ability to be creative and to feel that I'm making a difference as corny as this may sound, right? But, but also when you think of it, right? So you just gain your mastery, you're on top of the world, you're this, you know, scientist, just finish with your PhD and then you're an intern again, and you're wondering, <laughs> wondering where, you know, where, how to navigate across the hospital and how do you do this procedure and patients and trying to now stay on top of clinical medicine. And you finish residency, you're on top of the world. You're the best clinician probably you're ever, and you join fellowship and you're proceeding, then you're back in the lab and wait a second, the genome project is out and everything has changed. And what is, what is this CRISPR and what am I, what questions do I want to ask and how do you start again? And so, you know, if, you know, I, if you remember in Batman, there's that question, like, why, why do we fall Bruce? I think that that's, that's the line from the movie about how he sort of falls in this well, right, with the bats and he's very scared and that. The butler comes about and tells him, why do we fall so we can get up again? Or maybe this, I sort of made up the story now. <laughs> I haven't watched this movie in so long. But, but essentially, you just have to have this resilience to pick yourself up and be willing to be humble, right? And start again and sort of, and, and sustain yourself 
And meanwhile, you're also thinking about, so what, what are your colleagues doing? You know, is it, if, if it's important to you to, to sort of to think that some, someone is, you know, you're still doing this and finishing and somebody is probably running a big hospital or doing something else in pharma, like what's your opportunity cost and what would you rather do? Right. And just recognizing like it's a choice and I'm doing it because I love it and I'm very passionate about it. And there's nothing else that I would rather do, but you know, this again, like this may change and, and your mind can also play tricks with you, right? You may go through a stretch and the stretch is difficult and things may not be working so smoothly. You know, your postdoc mentor may leave, <laughs> like what's happened to me. And you're sort of, okay, so I'm a fellow and my postdoctoral mentor retired and, and what do, like, how, how do you navigate this? And I was very fortunate in my, so, right. So this was towards this period that in, um, in, you know, it's very, it's very well recognized and physician scientists were sort of want to do basic research and they're looking for a position place that will will be willing to bet a lot of money and resources and commitment on them to start their own lab. And think of it like you're basically coming in and you're gonna start your own business, right? So a lab or coming, you know, for, for me to get hired on what, what is called a 10 year track position with a lab requires a lot of commitment and, and investment from the institution. So they really have to, um, look at me and say, you know what, like, I'm going to give her a lot of money and I'm going to give her this precious space that you think, what, what are they doing? You know, they're building it up, but in fact, it's very little space. So now they, they're going to invest in you. And, and for that to happen, you have to have many things that, you know, you have to demonstrate that you can get grants and you have published and, and have a body of work and they have to sort of believe in you. So for me, as I mean, was finishing, I was sort of no, not really that close at the time my mentor retired, but she sort of, um, you know, she, she was wonderful. Uh, and I always think of mentors who empowered me. Um, and she was one of them, you know, her quirky saying was move in like a truck. So anytime when I have self doubt or, you know, wonder how am I going to do it? She goes, well, you just move in like a truck. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, so I was okay. Well, I'm going to move in like a truck. So I sort of squatted in the lab space that she had, she had sort of a grant that was still running out. So I had a little bit of funding after she left because right. Otherwise you're sort of, you don't have a mentor or you, and you don't have funding and the institution supported me and right. And so that was probably the most the most difficult time was just navigating that transition from the time when I'm, you know, sink or swim, right? You were swimming <laughs> and wondering, like, is, is anyone going to believe in me to, you know, to sort of be willing to hire me for a tenure track position? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And, and, you know, you, you shared many challenges that now make me feel like, wow, this is a hard journey. <laughs> so for the, for the clinician at the beginning, let's say that they're done with their fellowship. They haven't, they haven't, they haven't done all these amazing things that you've had. Maybe they don't even have a great mentor like you had. 
And they're like, wait a minute, is this research thing for me? Does it make sense to, to move forward in this direction? What advice do you have for them? Well, I would say just stay passionate and try to remember and sort of stay true to what really, you know, what, what excites you, right? And what you think will sustain you for your career. If, for example, you know, if you're interested in, let's say, I want to do early clinical trials, I've never done it, but I would like to pursue that. I think seeking out a project or identifying a question and identifying a mentor would be really important. And then I think just finding a project and running with it and accepting that you're going to learn from it and, you know, there's always going to be mistakes as you're starting, but having somebody to mentor you and you, I guess the other key part that I would like to tell the uh, share with the audience is how important it is to find a mentor, but recognizing that they are human, they have little time, they didn't have mentorship training. It's not like somebody runs these classes and degrees for mentors. So they themselves just came to where they came to be. So you have to be very active yourself and you have to know, and you you essentially also have to probably give something of yourself and your time and your effort to the mentor for your relation, for this relationship to work. So as you're finding, you know, deciding to start on the research project, I think you just have to believe in yourself, stay passionate about what what is it that you're what you're doing start small so pick something that's manageable and then you know success begets success so you just you start in something you have a mentor who you schedule meetings with you come prepared right you 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 and and come through on your word so if you decide that okay we're going to meet in a week or in two weeks and by that point I'm going to do this then do it or pick something smaller to do, but just try to come through on your commitment. And then, and then essentially, once you learn the ropes, then you can expand. And then once you expand, you know, I wouldn't shy away from opportunities to, that come along, right? So it may be something that you don't think is in your wheelhouse, but I would still, if it's interesting to you, I would absolutely jump on that with the right team and the right collaborators and the right metrics. That's super awesome. Thank you. I hear you talking about how you can't do this by yourself. You need community and that community includes mentors. And, but there's still a lot that you have to do. So you have to be able to bet on yourself and then you need to take the bull by the horns. I love it. Move in like a truck. Yeah. <laughs> I know I need to put a sign behind me. It's a good it's one. My, it's, it's my motto. You know, in the days when I'm still doubt myself, I it it just it comes back to me. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's it's taking advantage of every opportunity, trusting yourself that you can you can take it to the end. That's really awesome. Well, Dasha, you've just shared some amazingly incredible insights with our audience and you have a great story. I appreciate you sharing it with us. I'm inspired just listening to your story. And um, and, and so, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And so our audience, thank you for listening. This this has been great. If you can think of someone else who needs to hear Dasha's story, Dr. Babashok's story, please share it with them. 
this is really important, I think, for 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 everybody at every level to to recognize how how much investment is needed to really lead a research program as a PI, how much community support is needed as well. And I think those are all the things that Dr. Babashak highlighted. So please share this with someone. If you're a mentor and your mentee needs to hear it, please share it with them as well. But thank you all for listening. And we look forward to talking with you again next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. If you found the information in this episode to be helpful, don't keep it all to yourself. Someone else needs to hear it. So take a minute right now and share it. As you share this episode, you become part of our mission to help launch a new generation of clinician researchers who make transformative discoveries change the way we do healthcare.